there was a quote that I love from David LaChapelle, a photographer who was one of the speakers, where he said, your inner voice is your GPS as an artist and that you need solitude in order to hear it. And I was like, dang, that's so freaking true. <laughs> Welcome to Design Life, a show about design and side projects for motivated creatives. I'm Charlie. And I'm not Femke. Surprise, we have a special guest host today. I have Zach joining me because both of us recently attended Adobe Max, which is Adobe's huge creative conference that happens once a year. Uh, this year is in LA. I think there was about 16,000 people there. Uh, and Zach has agreed to come on and share his thoughts on the conference, talk about the experience, what he learned. I'm excited for this episode and I'm excited to have you here, Zach. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I think the last time I was on Design Life was for a conference that we attended together. Yeah, I think it was. So maybe this is becoming a bit of a trend. In case people didn't hear that episode, though, do you want to just give the people listening a quick introduction to, to who you are and what you do? Yeah, I love the people. What's up, people? <laughs> I'm Zach Grosser. I'm a presentation designer based in Amsterdam. I used to work at Figma and before that was working at Square in San Francisco. And I'm originally from the United States. Yes. And Zach and I have been Twitter friends for a very long time. And then a couple of years ago, got to become real life friends also. So I was really excited when I heard that you were also coming to Adobe Max. Yes, I, um, I am very privileged to have gotten a ticket to go to Adobe Max. And uh, all that was on me was to fly to LA and book a hotel, which is a lot. But I was really excited about the conference. And then when I found out that people I knew like you were going, then I was really excited to attend. Yeah. And I should also give a disclaimer that my ticket to Adobe Max was also free and they very kindly also flew me over there. I was an Adobe Insider this year. So that meant essentially that uh, I got to go along to the conference for free and that also I got to sit in like a special VIP area for the keynotes and things because it is quite a big room with a lot of people. But um, yeah. That's, that's mainly what that means. Let's get that clarification out of the way. But I will say that we shouldn't let that affect uh, anything that we say about the conference. Like, I want us to be honest, Zach. So yes, I think we can both do that. And I uh, attended as a UX leader for the UX Leader Summit. And I, um, as a freelancer, uh, one of my clients is Adobe. So I worked on a project with them and was able to attend, which was nice. Yeah, that's really cool. I think that this happens at Adobe. I noticed that there's a lot of different groups of people who they bring along, I think because it's their one massive event for the year. So they, you know, take up the opportunity to do things like this, invite UX leaders, invite Adobe insiders, which is mostly like influencers. We went along with the intention that we were posting on Instagram and Twitter and things throughout and, you know, like social media press. And then they also have the real press in a group as well, who sit during the keynotes with their laptops, like typing up news articles and that sort of thing. For me, as a as a designer, it kind of feels like our version of an Apple keynote in some ways, uh, being there through all the product announcements with all the stuff. I don't know if you got a similar sense, but that's kind of what I feel like. Yeah, I feel like it, the dream force of the design world. Yes. Okay, maybe that's a better way to describe it than Apple because, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I feel like the Apple events are, are catered toward us as well. <laughs> Good point. Yeah, that's that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> Uh, so the format of the conference is that 
Uh, it happens on Monday to Wednesday, usually. And there is a huge keynote on the Monday morning, the Tuesday morning. Then on the Tuesday night, there is a big, huge like closing party, which is the biggest, most lavish party that I have ever been to because they have a band there and they rent out like a stadium and you know, it's just a huge party. And then on the Wednesday, there is more workshops and things happening, which also happen on Monday and Tuesday afternoons. But a lot of people are very tired by the time the Wednesday comes around. Oh, yeah. I think a lot of people were like dropping their sessions for Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I ended up not going to any sessions on Wednesday. I had planned to, but I actually then got into a really good conversation over breakfast with another one of the Adobe insiders who joined me at my table. And I I just decided that, you know what, this conversation that I'm having right now is more important than the session that I'm going to go to, which I'm sure would be great. But yeah, that's often a decision I find myself making at conferences is to plan a schedule beforehand, plan what I want to go to, but then be willing to abandon that if I feel like I meet some really good people who I'm enjoying talking to. Because that at this stage of my career is the main thing that I want to get out of conferences is like, I don't want to say networking, but just, you know, conversations. I have the exact same sentiment. I ended up attending less than half of the sessions I originally had signed up for because I kept meeting people and wanting to spend time talking and also going through the the quote unquote community pavilion, which was yes. a more traditional convention floor, I think, but um, also had a creator market and some fun activities like a puppy pen and beanbag chairs. And by that, Zach literally means there was puppies in a pen that you could pet. It was it was great. <laughs> Not just pet, you could adopt them. <laughs> yeah, if you really wanted to, and if you probably like us didn't live in Europe. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how I would have gotten it back home and explained that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what was your favorite part of Adobe Max? Let's start there. Honestly, it was talking to, to other people, meeting new creatives and creatives I knew like yourself. Um, so it was a combination of like networking and socializing was my favorite part, but the convention itself, I really enjoyed the first keynote, mm -hmm. the closing party, and one of the sessions uh, that I went to that I'm happy to dive into now or if we want to talk about sessions later. Let's dive into it now. Um, let's talk about um, why that session was great and what you got out of it. Which one was it? So it was Meg Lewis's session. Just have to interrupt and say that's my favorite session too. Perfect. So let's talk about it. <laughs> yeah. So Meg Lewis is an amazing person, uh, very multifaceted, owns a, a freelance business and as a consultant, as well as now does workshops and published a book called Full-Time You, runs the Full-Time You program. And so the session was uh, a version of the workshop that she hosts inside companies about her book, Full-Time You. And uh, it's a book that I've I've read and well, it's a workbook. So I've, I've both read it and um, experienced written it. it, written in <laughs> it. And so it was really great to like meet her in person. We've been Twitter friends for a long time and hear her talk so passionately and in such an interesting and engaging way about her projects. Yeah, I find um, as someone who does speak at conferences and host workshops myself, whenever I'm attending another talk or another workshop session, 
I, my mind kind of splits in two and half of me is learning from what the speaker is saying and, and the content of their talk. Then the other half is kind of analyzing how they're presenting and getting ideas for myself for future workshops and things. I thought Meg was honestly one of the best speakers that I've seen. She was so personable on stage. She kind of took us through a bit of her life story and the lessons she's learned and how those things led to where she is today, which is a big part of the content she was sharing too was about looking at what you're passionate about, what has always excited you and how to bring that into your career. And yeah, I just think she did an amazing job with her talk. I think she should have been on the main stage personally, instead of it just being a workshop session. I think she would have done well on that main stage in a keynote. I agree with you 100%. And and to your point of how good she was at presenting, I think the evidence of that was also how many people came up to the mics and asked questions during the Q&A portion yep. and how thoughtful and in-depth those questions were. She really struck a chord with a lot of people in such a positive way. And people identified with her story so much that they were like, I need to get up and ask a question as hard as that is to do at a conference because I think that's a really difficult thing to do. Oh, yeah. Even though, like I said, I, I speak and I'm getting more used to public speaking, anytime I feel like, oh my gosh, I have a question to ask, I really should ask it, I, I get so nervous. <laughs> like, I, I don't know, I like break out in a cold sweat and I feel the butterflies just like getting so nervous to ask questions. So props to everyone who does that because it definitely isn't easy. What were some of the main takeaways you had from Meg's session, apart from her being an amazing speaker and amazing workshop host? What did you learn from it? You know, I, I had a similar experience to you where I was paying attention to how she presented and what she mm -hmm. presents. Um, I've I've done a lot of speaking engagements in the past year or so. Plus, I, I do presentation design, so I'm very interested in that. And one of the things that for me was a professional takeaway was how she formatted her Q&A slide where she put sample questions. I loved that. I loved that too. And two of them were like, pretty related to her work and the talk and two of them were jokes and I just think that that's such a genius way to break the ice for like you were saying how hard it is to get up and ask a question at an event like that and I think it also showed that questions really were encouraged because sometimes it's kind of like a thing at the end of a talk or something it's like all right and is there any questions nope cool okay thank you you know and it's like feels like it's almost just being asked as a courtesy, like the speaker doesn't really want questions maybe. Uh, even if that's not the case, that's what it can feel like sometimes. And so I loved that she had those sample questions because for me it did feel like, right, literally now it's on you. You've got to ask some stuff. Here's some suggestions, but, you know, this might just get you thinking about your own question you want to ask. And I thought it worked really well and it made, as an attendee at this workshop, it made it better because I feel like, like you said before, all the questions people asked were very thoughtful and very useful. And there wasn't any, oh, this is less of a question, more of a comment <laughs> <Yeah>. going on. <laughs> oh, that's the worst. Yeah, yeah, which does happen. But I, I feel like her slide probably really did help with that. Yeah. And to answer your question more about like what I actually learned from her presentation outside of like the creating my own presentation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which I, I am very grateful for, but it echoed a lot of what I took away from doing the workbook, the full-time you workbook was this idea that it's okay to make mistakes and change your career and continue to push yourself to be 
who you want to be and to keep asking questions to yourself about what you want to be with your career, what impact you want to have on the world, and to just keep questioning it and being okay and comfortable with all the change that comes with that of, you know, I've been doing the same thing for two years, five years, 15 years. It doesn't matter. It's okay to change and not look back and see that time is a failure. Yeah, definitely. I I think that her, because her talk was kind of structured for me anyway, what I got out of it was this idea of the life's purpose. And I don't think that I, I didn't learn that I should have one. I feel like I already knew that if that makes sense. But what I learned was the power that you can have in being able to express that and being able to say, this is my life's purpose and know what that is exactly. And be able to apply that to different decision-making that you have throughout your career, throughout your life. Um, You know, this is my life purpose. Does this align with that? Yes. Okay. Maybe I should do it. No. Okay. Maybe we shouldn't. Uh, I don't know why I just never thought about writing it down before. I think there's a lot of power in informing a statement around something like that. Cause I think a lot of us know inside intrinsically what we're aiming for, what's important to us, what we're passionate about, what we feel our purpose is. But I realized during her talk that I don't know if I could explain mine or write it down. Yeah, I had a similar sentiment of, of, at least when I started with the workbook, was just like, I don't know how to vocalize this. It's a feeling I have, but not words that I have. And Meg does a really good job of, of making it accessible for you to put those feelings into words. Yeah, totally. I Something I did after her workshop was go and buy her book <laughs> because I was like, I need to dig into this more and I want to learn more about this. So yeah, I bought a copy of her book and I haven't dug in yet, but I'm looking forward to for sure. Well, I'm excited for you. It's a, it's a really good one and I, I keep it on my desk to remind myself of some of the things in it. I love that. I also wrote down a quote that Meg said that I really like. My um, approach to note taking during conferences, because I do like to take notes, is whenever someone says something that like makes me think, oh my gosh, yes, you know, it sparks something in me, like an emotion or or maybe it just sparks an idea. I want to capture it there in the moment and write it down because then I can look back at these notes later and it can, can kind of bring me back to that inspiration that I felt in the moment, if that makes sense. So I didn't spend Meg's talk writing down everything she said or like writing down all her advice, just the things that really spoke to me. And There's this one line that she said that I just loved and I thought was beautiful that I want to read. She said, I'm trying to be myself as much as humanly possible, as much as I can bear, so that I can create space for others to be themselves too. And I loved that because it's hard to be yourself sometimes, especially publicly, (laughs) if that makes sense. And in doing so, we really can make it okay for others to do that too. And seeing her on stage, seeing her just be herself and you know, show her weirdness and be okay with leading a creative career that perhaps isn't the norm made me really rethink mine and just, I don't know, open my eyes to what other options are out there. So I love that. I love that too. And what I really liked was, I think that it can seem really intimidating to look at your career that way Yeah, at at times and to really dive into it. But what I really liked about Meg's talk and her workbook is it's not just about 
your career. It's also about your personal life and your your uniform, your look, your uh, external persona and creating personal a personal brand. brand. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and um, one of the things that comes with the workbook is this free PDF that's on her website for like defining your personal style. And, you know, I, I think maybe you and I can really identify with that. Like I showed up at Adobe Max with blue hair and... <laughs> I had purple. And yeah. you had purple. So, I, yeah, like there's definitely an element of of that that she talks about that that makes it also accessible to start looking at the different facets of your life. And one of the things Meg showed that I really liked was this. Um, it was almost like a chart of her titles. And it was like her in the middle and it, branching out from it was like, author, designer, illustrator, podcaster, like it kept going and it's showing that it's okay not to put yourself in just one bucket and to have all these different facets to your life and make them all you and unique to you is really possible and exciting. Yeah. Her whole presentation was great. I highly encourage anyone listening to go check out Meg Lewis's work. Definitely check out her book. We'll leave a link to it in the show notes. Zach, I want to ask you a question because when, so we got on this track because I asked you what your favorite parts were, right? And you said specifically the day one keynote, which was the one where they did a lot of product announcements and things. What did you think of the day two keynote? Was that purposefully not a favorite or was it just not as good as the other stuff? The day two keynote had my, my, one of my favorite moments and one of my least favorite moments. Okay. Tell me about it. (laughs) Yeah. So they interviewed people, which was cool. And they had, um, a lot of celebrities on the stage mm-hmm. and i think that was one of the like draws to the conference that they were going for but some of the interviewers weren't the best matched people for the interviewees and so i was really surprised at how much i enjoyed the m night shamala like interview yeah it's not a director that i would go out of my way to like learn about <laughs> well i mean I- i've enjoyed some of his movies but i definitely like wouldn't google like interviews of M. Night Channel. Like, I, I don't know that I would ever be interested in that. And But they did a really good job of pairing their global evangelist for audio and video products with him. And so they were people that the interviewer had a deep understanding of the work. And so that was really good. And some of the other interviews, it wasn't necessarily the best pairings. So, for example, Billie Eilish was there, which was such a cool... It was weird to like wake up on a Tuesday morning to go like listen to Billie Eilish and right? see her in person, but I didn't feel like the person interviewing them was the best person for the job. Yeah, I felt a little bit of that too um, with the Dave Grohl interview as well because I was so excited when I learned that Dave Grohl was going to be at Adobe Max, and I feel a little disappointed at the the lack of depth that the interview had because I think there was so much potential for it to go much deeper. Like Dave was super charismatic and like really chatty and like, you know, talking on things, expanding on things. I just wish that the conversation had been guided in perhaps a more deeper way. And considering the audience, I think it would have been really cool to dig more into his uh, filmmaking and documentary, like becoming a documentarian and producing the films that he's made. That would have been really interesting to hear more about because I think we've all heard a lot about Dave Grohl's music career, or if we haven't, it's very easy to go look up any interview online and find that. It just, I don't know, it felt like a missed opportunity. I agree. I've also been reading a book at the moment called Talk to Me, which is 
Um, dang it, I can't remember the author's name off the top of my head, but I will link it in the show notes. And it's about the art of interviewing someone uh, and how to ask good questions and doing your research beforehand to ask questions that haven't been asked before and that sort of thing and how you can build a really good conversation, which is what an interview should be. And so I think that made me extra disappointed. <laughs> I'm interested in reading that book, so I'll have to take a look at that. But yeah, I, I felt like Dave's Dave Grohl's charisma carried the whole interview. So it it's did. Yeah. still like netted out as like really positive. But yeah, it, it was a missed opportunity for sure. And I think in the Billie Eilish one, she perhaps didn't have the same amount of charisma that Dave had to be able to carry it. Uh, herself and like you know turn it into something maybe if the question wasn't something she was super inspired by um, I feel like Dave when when that a question was asked of him he was able to turn it into something and talk into something he was interested in but Billy kind of just answered the questions so maybe needed a little bit more guidance there well I might be mistaken but isn't Billy Eilish 17 years old I mean <laughs> very good point that's what I mean though I think that like like you said the perhaps the interviewer wasn't suited and needed to like work harder, I suppose, to pull the stuff out of her that would have been useful to the audience. Yeah, I think Dave Grohl's been doing those sorts of interviews since he was 17 years old. So <laughs> I think he has the experience to be able to handle a, an interviewer that's not quite matched for the, the yeah, talk. Yeah, very good point. Yeah. What was your, you mentioned that this had one of your favorite moments in it as well, though. So was that the M. Night Shyamalan interview? Is that what you meant there? It was. It was. The M. Night Shyamalan interview was really good. And, you know, I... I had a takeaway from the whole event that was one of my favorite talks, and I literally cannot remember who said it. And it might have been M. Night Shyamalan, but I'm not. It might have been Dave Grohl. Um, but someone was talking about how the power imbalance of creators and companies. Oh, okay. And how, you know, if you look at big corporations, let's use Adobe, for example, because they are one of my clients of like, I'm an individual sitting at home doing work for a company that has billions of dollars and tens of thousands of employees and a board of directors and a bank account. And a lot of the time, people like us and freelancers are signing contracts that make it our legal responsibility to deal with any problems mm -hmm. and how that that's not a fair power dynamic. And that if we as a society want to value artists and creators, we need to make sure that we make room for them to work at their best without putting such a legal burden on them and to consider that power dynamic. And that's how we're going to continue to support artists. I love that because that's something that I've definitely been frustrated about myself. Um, I don't so much do freelance work, but I have this through my YouTube content that I make. And when I have sponsorships, Often that sponsor is a big brand, big company, and I'm forced to conform to their way of doing things, which really frustrates me because in this situation where I have a full-time job, I don't need to accept their sponsorship. I'm just, you know, for the money, if, if that makes sense. I'm excited about it and I like their product, so I want to promote it. And yet they kind of treat me, I feel like I'm doing them a favor. No, wait, like they're doing me a favor. That's the way around. Uh, where, you know, I have to change everything about what I do and they're hiring me because of what I do, right? Because I'm a creator and because of the content that I have and the audience that I've built. So it makes, it's, it's hard for me to understand why I'm forced to conform to their way of doing things just because they're more concerned about their accounting department and the process following there than 
me and what my creative process is and how I can produce my best work. Exactly. Yeah. It's definitely something that opened my eyes and that has helped me like really look at the situation as, as it is. It's not equals because I'm a person talking to the stakeholder at the company and they're a person. It, it's not quite the same because they are representing such a, a large company. And, and that company, like you said, is often trying to steer the narrative of like how the work is created and what you do. And like you said, you're the expert at what you do because you've created it. Do you think that um, hearing that, is that going to change anything about how you approach your freelance projects in future? I'm not sure because I really do think that that message was for people that work at large institutions and that it it was putting an onus on them to protect artists. So an, a, as an individual creator, I don't know how I can change, but I do think that if I ever do work at a large company again, it will be a message that I remember. Yeah, I love that. I don't know. I, I feel like as creatives, we can try and stand up for ourselves more sometimes too. Obviously, I'm not commenting on your process because I don't know how you do things, but there has been times that I have decided, no, you know what? I don't want to wait 60 days to be paid and I'm going to tell them that if they don't pay me before the video is released, then they don't get the video. Um, and I just like got brave enough to do that once and it worked out, but um, I think I should do that more to try and make the big company conform to my way. But unfortunately, sometimes you try and more often than not, it just doesn't work out and they force you to conform to their process or like say no to the whole thing, basically. I think this circles back nicely to the self-discovery workbook of full-time you and um, how after I read it, I, I was a lot more assertive with my business because if I don't advocate for myself, I don't know that there is anybody else that will. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. Sad, but true. <laughs> Uh, one of my favorite takeaways from the whole conference actually came out in the day two keynote as well. And it was, it's not like a revolutionary thing or anything like that. I think it was just something that I needed to hear in the moment and that I have kept reflecting on, I suppose, in the weeks since Adobe Max. And that was this theme of pacing yourself and the importance of rest, not just for your health, because we all know that, you know, getting rest is important for your health, but also for your creative health. There was a quote that I love from David LaChapelle, a photographer who was one of the speakers, where he said, your inner voice is your GPS as an artist and that you need solitude in order to hear it. And I was like, dang, that's so freaking true. <laughs> and I just don't think that I've been giving myself enough time to sit with my thoughts lately, if that makes sense. I've been like moving from thing to thing, filling blank space with podcasts, with reading, with like, you know, being productive, making stuff happen. And I don't think I've been taking enough time to just, yeah, slow down and listen to myself think. Wow, that's a really great takeaway. I'm really glad that you that you had that. And that, um, what was his name again, the photographer? David LaChapelle. That was a, that was a great talk. And, and, I was an unexpected one for me. I didn't really know of him coming into Adobe Max and it was it was definitely one of my highlights too. Yeah, for sure. So that's interesting. Was that not a thread that was really sticking out to you through these keynotes? Because there was another like M Knight as well spoke about this in in his talk. That stuck out to me. But it was probably because this is what I was needing to hear, you know? So that was what I was taking away from it. You know, it's really interesting and kind of meta is I was in a place on that trip where I needed 
that space. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, was jet lagged and had stuffed my schedule from as soon as I woke up in the morning to very late into the night with Adobe Max activities. And I was kind of freelancing at the same time. So I would take some breaks during the conference to do work. So it was probably the message that I should have been taking away from Adobe Max. <laughs> but it just didn't quite make it because you weren't sitting in silence. I like it. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. I had that experience at Max last year, incidentally, where I didn't take time off work to attend the conference. So I would like go to the keynotes, but then go back to my hotel and work for the afternoon and then go to stuff that was happening in the evening. And it was a really stressful time. Um, And that's why this year I decided that I was going to take the time off work for the conference so that I could just fully be there and, and attend I actually chose it as uh, at Convertka. We get to pick one conference a year that we go to and the company pays for. In this case, Adobe paid for me to go to the conference, but um, I got to have the time off work without needing to use vacation days. So that was nice. And I could just um, do Mac stuff and not worry about work. Although I did still find it exhausting. So yeah, I don't know how you coped. <laughs> well, that's that's great that um, ConvertKit is so uh, flexible and, and I would say cool to allow that opportunity. And um, I think that I'll take a note from you. And, and next next year, if I get to go, I would definitely take more distance from work during my time there. Yeah, you can give yourself the time off work because you're in charge of yourself. I need to keep reminding myself that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, something else, another one of my takeaways, honestly, and this is not like a nice and inspiring one like we've talked about, to be honest, uh, but I'm just going to say it anyway. And that is that during the day one keynote, which is where they debut all the new features coming to Adobe software and they're showing us all this really cool stuff and it was really exciting. But also I was sitting there thinking, wow, I am crap at using software. And there is probably like these features are amazing, but there's probably some really basic stuff happening in the design software that I use today where I could be making my workflow a whole lot better. And I just don't know about it because I haven't tried to become like a software power user. That's not been my approach to learning software. So I I felt a bit stupid, to be honest, and I'm not quite sure how to get around this problem that I have. But that was also one of my takeaways for the conference. It's funny you mentioned that. I had that takeaway when I came back from the conference. So interesting. They they showed a lot of stuff in Audition, which is Adobe's audio software for people that don't know. And uh, I... Do the audio editing of two of the podcasts that I'm on. Maybe your audience would be interested in Bezier podcasts. I'm sure they absolutely would. Plug. Tell tell them about Bezier. Oh yeah, Bezier is a design podcast where I interview designers, and I try to be unlike other design interview podcasts. So not Design Life, but um, some of the the different ones. I won't name names. But in that, most of the people I interview, I try not to you know, interview people that work at the big five tech companies or just in the Bay Area and specifically not all straight white men in the Bay Area at one of the big five tech companies. So I love that. Thank you. I I love it too. And I love trying to create this platform for people that don't currently have one in the design community. Um, People that don't already have 30,000 followers on Twitter. Those are the people that I'm trying to interview and, and share their stories. They'll be busy. It will be linked in the show notes as well. But now back to audition. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I learned a lot that you can do with audition that I didn't know. And I consider myself, you know, a, a power user in, in software like audition. So yep. I came back and was working on a podcast episode. And I was thinking to myself, 
there's stuff that I don't know how to do that would definitely make this better. And I know some of the stuff that I saw on stage isn't out yet, but without going to a conference and watching someone go through the feature, this software isn't designed in a way where I'm just going to be able to stumble across it, you know, or like you said, have the time to really learn the tool and find those little features that would make my life, my quality of work better. And that was an interesting moment for me of like trying to figure out like, is it poor design or is it that I don't have enough time or is it, you know, this reason or this reason? Like I haven't yet been able to figure out the reason, but it definitely was a lot of things that made me question like workflow and how people learn workflows and how I can better find those little things that are going to make my life easier. Yeah. It sounds like we came to a pretty similar conclusion on that. It's just that I was feeling it during the keynote. Um, I think what happens for me when I learn new software, well, like, or open up old software even, is I just use it how I intuitively feel like I should use it. And maybe I watch like one introduction tutorial or something like that. But then I only really seek out other tutorials when there's something in particular that I want to learn how to do that I don't know how to do, which is fine. But I'm sure there's so many things in my current process that I feel fine and comfortable with that could be improved. And without, you know, searching for every single little part of the process, like, is there a way to make creating frames faster? You know, how am I going to find those things? I just don't feel like they're surfaced very easily. I I feel the same way. Uh, Back when I was using Sketch, it was one of those things where someone's like, oh, there's a plugin that does that and would save you all that time of you doing that manually. And I'm just like, no, I'm fine doing it (laughs) manually. (laughs) It's easier. I'll just like stick with what I know. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. It's just like one of those things, like you said, of not like, oh, this is just the way that I intuitively figured out how to do it the first time. And I'm not going to change that. Yeah. It made me think um, about what I can do in things like ConvertKit marketing and onboarding. How can we be surfacing more of these little tips and hacks or whatever, like, you know, common practices that I know because I work there and I use it a lot. There may be someone who's new to the software doesn't know, and that could be useful as a little thing for them to work into their workflow. Um, And I think our social media team is going to be trying to surface more of that stuff uh, coming out. So that'll be cool. That is cool. And I think uh, that brings up something that I've experienced really recently of trying to learn a new platform and how I'm beginning to realize that Google search is not the best way to learn those tips. Ooh. Because I'll, t- I'll type in like best tips for, you know, uh, I have a new Windows computer. So I'm like best tips for Windows computer because it's new to me. And so I'm trying to learn it. And the top you know, 10 results, the whole first page of Google search is these articles that are written to get people to click on ads. Mm. You know, a lot of these web pages where it's really light on content and heavy on advertisements and newsletter pop-ups and all the things that are really common on the internet today and how I'm beginning to realize I don't know the best way to find out about a tool anymore. And so to hear that you're building that into the experience of ConvertKit makes me a little more hopeful of hopefully more companies are going this direction too. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to give anyone false hope. It's not coming just yet. We haven't got a plan for it, but it's just something that I'm thinking about and going to be pushing for, for sure. I've been, as I've been searching for, I think it's usually when I'm looking for reviews of stuff, if I'm considering buying something and I want to read a review, 
And I just wish that I could search all blogs. Like I only want to hear from an individual creator who has had this product and used it and written a review about it. I don't want to hear from The Verge or, you know, a company blog where it's a, a post that's disguises an ad and it, ad, ad disguises a post that way around. Yeah. Or, or anything like that or, or an Amazon review. I just want to read from a creator and there's no like one aggregate search for blogs in that way, which is frustrating. It's super frustrating. I also feel the same way about like, I want to read about individuals, not companies, individuals that wrote about this, like on their blog, like you want to search within the, you know, the recent past. Yes. <laughs> I keep opening YouTube and it, it recommends, you know, a bunch of videos that it thinks are, you know, aligned with the things that I watched in the past. But as I sort of look for the smallest text on the screen, it says like posted three years ago. And you're like, oh, this is probably not going to be very up to date then. Yeah, exactly. You're like, oh, uh, you know, Figma's changed a lot in three years. I don't really know if that's a relevant video for me to watch anymore. Yeah. And it's hard with the pace that technology and everything is moving at. Some something else they do at Adobe Max is this thing called sneaks, where a bunch of the engineers at Adobe will have worked on little side projects in a way or like ideas for possible things to add to products in the future. And they're always super, like super impressive and futuristic. And you're like, oh my God, why didn't anyone think of that before? But obviously they're very difficult to bring to life. And so that's why they're not included in the product yet. But all of the advancements that we see there, I'm like, oh my gosh, like it's just bananas how fast the pace of technology is moving. And so seeing a, a tutorial or, or a review on something tech related that is even a year old is kind of out of date already. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought up sneaks too, because I thought that was a unique part of any conference I'd been to. Mm. Having worked at a couple tech companies, a really, really common request from your customers that you get is what is your product timeline look like? Like, show me the next year roadmap. And a lot of the times it's a hard discussion within companies of like, should we? Because we're kind of concerned our competitors work, will care yeah. at more than our customers will. And I thought Sneaks was a really cool way to show what Adobe was focusing on, what is going to be possible soon for us as creators, and sort of satisfies that need to sort of know where Adobe's moving over the next year without having to like pressure them to release a full roadmap. Yeah, and they also say during sneaks that if this is a feature that you would be really excited about, cheer for it louder, tweet about it, post the hashtag, because we're looking at your reaction to these things to see what we should actually implement into our roadmap. So one that came from last year, because um, I was at Adobe Max last year too, it's now called Auto Reframe in Premiere, where they'll take a, a video clip and you can frame it and reformat the size, maybe for Instagram stories, say. And it'll automatically frame the content so that the subject is always in, in the center of that reframed video. So they showed this example of a skier going down a hill. They're like, you know, zipping from side to side of the frame. If you try and crop that into a vertical format, obviously they're going to be out of the frame a lot of the time. But with auto reframe, it like follows the skier automatically, which was super cool. And that was a sneak. And now it's part of the product. Yeah. I, I do have to say there were a couple things this year in Sneaks that I felt had some ethical implications that I was a little worried about. Yeah. There, there was a lot of using Adobe Sensei, which is the branding they use for any uh, machine learning or artificial intelligence that they're adding to their products, mm -hmm. um, to 
remove or insert people in photographs. Yeah, I agree. That one was a little scary. (laughs) There were a couple that were along the lines of, I can see this being abused really easily. Yeah. And I think that, well, I was, because I was an Adobe Insider, I was like tweeting along as things were happening and watching what other people were saying. And that was being called out. And I hope that Adobe listened to that and really, you know, reflect on it and decide if this is necessary. (laughs) Like, will the good really outweigh the many potential bad uses of this feature? Yeah. And I hope, you know, not just Adobe reflects on that, but more companies are thinking about how their tools can be abused. Yeah, totally. Well, Zach, I feel like we should wrap this up and let the people get back to whatever else they're doing in their day. But um, overall, Adobe Max, good. You would attend again. Would you recommend it to other people? You know, I struggle with it because it's an expensive conference. Yes, I agree. If you're going to spend that money, much money on a conference, it's hard for me to say that that was worth both the 2000 ish dollars that it costs to attend plus the all the costs it was for me to travel there. Mm-hmm. I think if you live in or near California or are already visiting California for some reason, um, that it's definitely worth it, the ticket price. But if you're going to also invest in traveling really far, it's one of those things that I don't know. I think that you should maybe try it once but uh, and see if it's something that you also got value out of the way that Charlie and I got value out of it. Yeah, and I think that you need to go along. I agree with everything you just said, by the way. But I think you should go along either because you want to network and that is your main priority is having conversations, meeting people, and that you can have the ticket be a business expense as well. I don't feel like people should pay for it out of their own pocket maybe unless you know you're making an investment into your own own business and your own career in that way and you can afford to do that or maybe you are quite new to the design industry and your work is able to pay for you to go along because then I think you get a lot of value out of the sessions and all the the teaching that happens there as well as the conversations but I do feel like the majority of the sessions are probably more intro focused if that makes sense so yeah, if, if one of those two cases fits you, then I think you'll get a lot of value out of Max and go along. But if your work won't pay for it, and if you're kind of, I don't know, not in a space in your career where you're ready to invest in in networking and people and conversations, and you don't feel like that would be useful to you, then maybe give it a miss and go to a local one instead. Yeah, I think that's a great piece of advice. And, and I really liked that you said like establishing a goal. Mm-hmm. Like, is your goal to network or is your goal to learn more or, you know, and th- reflecting on that every morning, I didn't go into Adobe Max with any goals. And maybe that's one of the reasons that I'm not sure that I can recommend spending that much money on the event and travel is because I didn't have any goals. And so I think that's great advice to like, know why you're going and reflect on that every morning. Yeah, because you get out what you put in, so you need to know what you're wanting to get out of it, for sure. Well, thank you, Zach, for coming on the show to chat with me about this. And don't worry, everyone, Famke will be back next week. She's she's not gone for good. Just, just for this one episode, we decided to have Zach on instead to discuss the conference. Yeah, thanks for being here, Zach. Thanks for having me on Sign Life again, Charlie. You should go and check out Zach's podcast, Bezier. Like we said, that'll be linked down below in the show notes just for some more more great design inspiration and, and hearing from designers who you perhaps don't hear from all the time, which is a great mission, I think, Zach. Thanks. Thanks for sharing. 
All right, everyone. Have a good day, and I'll see you next time. Bye, Zach. Bye, Charlie.